Well, church, let me encourage you, if I can, to go ahead and grab your Bible. And we're going to jump right into the Word of God here this morning. So thankful for this opportunity to, to turn our attention now to the Word of God in the book of Ephesians. If, if you're new to Shades or perhaps if you're joining us online for the first time or the first time in a while, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians just verse by verse, seeing what the Word of God lays before us as it relates to how the people of God have been called to live in light of the good news of the gospel. And so if you're, if you're new to this whole thing, if you're new to Bible study, if you're new to church, I just want to let you know what, we, what we're walking through here today is, is a response to the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ through the cross and in the power of his resurrection. The first half of Ephesians, it, it lays out for us the good news of the gospel over and over and over again. That it is by grace through faith, that, that you or that I can be saved. It's not a result of our works that anyone may boast. It is all about what Christ has done. And the second half of this great letter that we call the book of Ephesians then turns our attention to how we have been called to live in light of this good news. And so if you're here today, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you are a part of the family of God, these verses that we're stepping into, they, they are laying out for you what it means specifically to live out your faith in the context of the family. That's where we're going today and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be looking specifically at the family, at, at marriage, at the relationship between husband and wife, at the relationship between parents and children. But this is all a response to the good news of the gospel. And so that means if you're here today and you have yet to receive the good news of the gospel, you've yet to trust your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I want you to know right up front, we are so glad that you are here. We are so glad that you're here. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear what the Word of God says specifically about a marriage, about family relationships and dynamics. And I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll lean in and just invite the Word of God to speak into your life. I do want to say, though, right up front, the message today and next week specifically is we deal with the role of a wife in the marriage relationship and then next week the role of a husband in the marriage relationship. Everything, virtually everything that you're going to hear this week and next week is countercultural to most things you're going to hear in our world today. I just want to say that right up front. These messages are going to create some tension. There's going to be some challenges that will be laid out today. And the challenges will all be in this category. Will we believe the word of God or will we believe the word of our culture? Will we believe the, the unchanging, immovable word of God or will we believe the ever-changing, whimsical word of our culture? And we all have to make that decision. And we all need to wrestle with that question. What will we believe as it relates to the family? What will we believe as it relates to a marriage? 
And I, I realize when we, when we dive into something very specific, like today, the role of the wife, there's a lot of you here today, a lot of you joining online, you're, you're not a wife. There's husbands in the room. There's those who are single in the room. There's those who are walking through broken relationships in the room. There are single parents in the room. There's a lot of different dynamics when we gather. My hope and my prayer is that every single one of us would lean in. Because what the word of God does here in these specific verses is it invites us to experience the gift of real life in Christ in a practical way, in a tangible way. And it will be challenging to every single one of us if we will lean in, but it will be enriching and beautiful if we will lean in. So with that being said, we're going to turn our attention now to the Word of God, and we're, we're coming right at it. I mean, this is a challenging passage of Scripture. Today we're looking specifically at the role of a wife in a Christian marriage according to God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verses 22 and reading through verse 24, that will be our text for today. And I want to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me as I read this text. We, we do this each week here at Shades at the beginning of a message. Why do we do this? Why do we stand for the reading of God's word? Well, we stand to be reminded that as a people of God, we are, we are standing on God's word. That, that is the foundation for our lives. What God says is right and good and true. What God knows we need to hear. But we also stand out of reverence and out of respect to the holiness of God's word that calls us to something greater, that calls us to something even more than we could desire on our own. And so we look to the scripture as it relates to the marriage relationship and the calling on a wife in a marriage. Ephesians 5:22. wives, submit to your husbands. Now, just stay with me. We're already earning into some very controversial territory here. Stay with me. Wait till the end of the message before you execute the messenger. Let the message be delivered. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week. <laughs> no, we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray and we need to invite the Spirit of God to guide us through these very challenging but very important verses laid before us in the Word of God. These verses that are for our good. And yes, wives, that means you too. These verses are for our good. So let's ask the Lord to reveal to us what we need to see. Let's pray together before we're seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to turn our attention now to your word. I pray, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that the words on these pages would, would come to life in this place today, and more importantly, would come to life in our hearts. Lord, we need to hear what you have to say. We are entering into a very counter-cultural conversation through your word. So I pray, Lord God, 
that you would soften our hearts to receive what you know we need to hear. And I pray, Lord God, that you would work in our lives for your glory and also for our good. I pray, Lord God, that you would have your way among us. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. The way we need to get into this today, before we even talk about the specific roles in marriage, is we actually need to take a step back. And we actually need to ask the question, okay, what is a marriage? What is God's design? What is God's created order? And, and I, I want you to know right up front in, in asking that question, this is going to create some tension among some of you today. Some tension to, to wrestle with, do I believe, truly believe the word of God? Or do I believe what other people say outside of the word of God? Do I believe what the culture says is right for marriage? Or do I believe what God says is right for marriage? That's a point of tension. And so I want to say specifically to students in the room, I want to say specifically to those of you who are under about the age of 20, you know this, whether you realize it or not, you know you're growing up in a very different world than your parents and your grandparents, right? But I also want you to see and understand this. You're growing up in a world that for the first time in the history of the world, the first time in the history of the world, over about the last 10 years or so, has laid out a very different definition for marriage than what the word of God uses to define marriage. You need to know that. That does create tension. That means the world has something very different to offer than what the word of God has to offer. And so you need to wrestle with yourself. Students, I'm saying this to you just like I'm saying this to everybody else in the room. You need to wrestle with, will you, can you believe the word of God or will you believe the word of our culture? Because it will define and shape your life, and it will certainly define and shape what you believe about marriage and the family. I, I want to read a, a quote from Andreas Katzenberger as he talks about marriage and the family and our culture today. He writes this. This is so pertinent for where we're going. He says, for the first time in history, I mean, this is, this is historic. We need to understand this. We live in a historic time as it relates to the definition of marriage and the family. For the first time in history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. This used to be unnecessary in our culture, defining marriage and the family. We live in a day today, you need to define what does marriage mean? What does the family mean? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of conflicting ideas. And he said this, Wait, what until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father, a mother, and a number of children, has in recent years increasingly begun to be viewed as one among several options, which can no longer claim to be the only or even superior form of ordering human relationships. 
is there a definition of marriage and the family that's best? Are all definitions of marriage and the family equally valid? This is where we have to start. And we have to wrestle with what does it truly mean to talk about marriage and the family specifically according to God's word and more importantly even according to God's design. Because God created marriage and God created the family. And if we want to experience marriage and the family according to what God knows is best for our marriages and families and our lives, then we must be willing to listen and trust what God says about his design and his created order as it relates to marriage and family. So what is a biblical definition of marriage? We're gonna get into the specific roles in, in the marriage in a moment and next week, but what is a biblical definition of marriage? Well, I wanna quote to you from theologian John Stott. This is a truly beautiful definition and a helpful definition as it relates to marriage. And I know for some of you, this is going to be Controversial. This is going to be very challenging. I'm asking you to wrestle with this. This is what the word of God upholds as a definition of marriage. This is what Stott says. Marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent mutually, issuing in a permanent mutually supportive partnership. This is biblical marriage. This is God's design for marriage. This is very different than what our culture says marriage now is. Will we listen to the word of God or will we listen to the ever-changing winds of culture? I want you to know right up front, I believe that everything God lays before us in his word as it relates to marriage and the family, it's for our good. It's not because God's holding out on you it's not because God doesn't want you to find joy. No, no, no. God, who created marriage and the family, knows what is best for marriage and the family. And so he makes it very clear. This is the marriage and this is the family according to my design so that you can experience my best. That's what we just sang about. The incredible love of God, the blessings of God. He wants us to know his love. He wants us to know his best. And so he clearly, graciously, compassionately lays out with clarity so that there is no confusion. I want you to know, you may be confused about what the culture believes or, or, or the difference between culture and the scripture, but the word of God is clear. God wants you to understand with clarity what he lays before us as best. There is no confusion here. According to the word of God, there's a very specific design and there's a very specific purpose for marriage and the roles in marriage. And so that's where we step into Ephesians 5 with that biblical foundation that this is what marriage is. 
Now we want to understand how do we live in a marriage relationship as husband and wife. And we start with the wife here today because that's where the scripture takes us in Ephesians 5. The Apostle Paul comes out of verse 21 where he calls the people of God to submit to one another in love. And then he begins to talk about the specific role of the wife in verse 22 through 24. I'm going to lay out three things that we're going to get into. All of these are controversial. Most of these, I would say, are going to create some tension in the room for some of you. But this is God's design, God's word for the role of a godly Christian wife according to the scripture. Three things we're going to talk about. The wife has been created by God as a helper. A helper designed by God, created by God. And you'll see why in just a moment. The wife has been called to submit to the spiritual authority of her husband in her home. That's a controversial word. That's a challenging word. We're going to get into that. Thirdly, the wife has been called to respect her husband. And to, and to impact the, the spiritual temperature, if you will, in her home through the respect that is demonstrated for her husband as a man of God. So let's go there and let's see what the word of God lays before us. My hope and my prayer is that this will stir in all of us a desire to press in deeper to the word of God to more fully understand what God says is best for marriage and the family. So to help us clearly see that God has created the wife in marriage to be a helper for her husband, let's go back to the very beginning. If you'll turn with me to, go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to spend a bunch of time in Ephesians 5, but we're going to look at several other passages. And I want to start in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 specifically. This verse is so important in talking about the role of a wife in a marriage for a couple of reasons. And the first one being, this verse is laid out for us to see what God designs before the fall of man. Genesis 2.18 is before sin enters the equation. Look at what the scripture says. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a helper fit for him. The wife is, is called and created by God for this specific role. When God said to Adam in the garden, it's not good that man would be alone, he doesn't say, so I'm going to give you a bro to hang out with. He doesn't say, hey, there's lots of animals around, enjoy all the pets, and you're going to have a great time, you know, living at the zoo, you and all the animals. No, he says, there's something that you need, there's someone that you need in this journey of life that will be a tremendous blessing to you, a tremendous gift to you, a tremendous compliment to you. Her name is Eve, the woman, the wife given to Adam as a gift from God to be a helper who is fit for him. This is not because of sin. This is not because of the fall. This is before the fall. This is God's design for a husband 
and a wife, that the wife would be a helper fit for her husband. It's also important to understand God's design at the very beginning because in God's design at the very beginning, he shows us that the role of the wife is not inferior to Adam at all. He does not say, I'm going to appoint the man as the head of the family because the man is better. He does not say, I'm appointing the man as the spiritual authority of the household because the man is superior. No, that's not what we see at all. In fact, the word that is used for helper here is the same word that God uses to describe himself as it relates to the way he interacts with his people. This is very important to see. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 33, verse 20. Psalm, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. So we've started at Genesis. We're now hitting the middle. Psalm chapter 33, verse 20. Listen to what the word of God says. Our soul waits for the Lord, and here's that language, for he is our help and our shield. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help, same word used to describe the wife in Genesis 2, he is our help and our shield. What is this supposed to reveal? If anything, this is showing an incredible compliment to the woman in the role that she has been given as a helper fit for the man. This is a term of strength. It is a, a term of honor to be the help and the shield means to be uh, to help cover and protect. This is a gift. It should be an affirmation to the significance of the role of a wife in the marriage. We would not say of God that God is inferior because he helps us. No, we would say God is, is amazing because he helps us. We need his help. And ladies, you know this to be true, so you better give me an amen. If you're married, your man needs help. Can I get an amen? I mean, he needs help help. You know this about him. He needs help. And God in his divine design has said, I am going to create this specific role for marriage and the family that is the wife. She is going to be a helper fit for the man. It's a role of honor. It's a role of dignity. It's a role of strength. The wife is to be a complement to the man. Not, not competing against one another, complementing one another. Equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in worth in the sight of God. Both providing unique gifts one to the other. Pointing to God's unique design. So wives, it's important to ask as we think about this creation of God that a wife would be a helper fit for her husband. Are you, are you a compliment to your husband in the marriage relationship or are you, are you competing against him? Competing for spiritual authority or competing for power or competing for whatever it may be. This is God's design that the husband and the wife would be a complement to one another. 
And that the wife would be a helper fit for the man. He needs help. And God saw fit to create the wife as the the, the perfect complement, if you will, the, the helper that is fit for him. Secondly, though, let's go back now to Ephesians 5, 22, and let's deal with the dreaded S word. A wife has been created as a helper. A wife has been called to submit to the spiritual authority of her husband. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What is submission all about? This is such a negative word in so many circumstances and in many conversations altogether. This is just a dirty word. When I was in high school, I wrestled. I was on our our wrestling team. And a submission hold, that's a serious deal. That is forcing someone against their will to tap out and to lose power so that they give up. Is that what God's calling wives to? That sounds really appealing, doesn't it? That's not what we're talking about at all. Husbands, you need to understand this. This is so important to see the call on the wife to submit to her husband's spiritual authority. Please don't miss this. Even see it in the language of the scripture. It's the call to the wife. The verse does not say, husbands, make sure your wife submits. Husbands, force your wife to submit. That's not in the text anywhere. In fact, there is tremendous dignity here in Ephesians chapter 5 in the way the word of God speaks directly to the wife in this text. Do you realize that 2,000 years ago, the context in which this letter was written was not a context where women had any authority whatsoever. They were second-class citizens. And yet here's the word of God affirming the dignity of the wife by speaking directly to the wife. And saying, here's an invitation for you to step out in faith and trust God's design over and above what the culture says, even over and above perhaps your own desire at times, certainly over and above the sin nature inside of us. Will you trust God at His word, as the word of God speaks specifically to the wife with this calling and with this invitation to trust God's word and affirm his created order. Let me lay out a definition for submission that I hope will be helpful. We'll put this up on the screen. Submission in this context here, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, is the calling of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's role as head of the family with a willingness to help him live this out for the sake of spiritual growth in the home and missional engagement from the home. So this is a divine calling on the wife as a woman of God 
to promote spiritual growth in her own home by submitting to her husband's spiritual authority and then to promote missional engagement outside of the home as an example of the good news of the gospel following God's created design. This is a choice for a wife to make. This is not something to be taken by force from her husband. Guys, we're going to talk more about that specifically next week. Ladies, I hope you will make sure your men are here next week. It's important. It's a big one. I want to just share a personal example of of how messed up my own perspective was in this conversation when Megan and I were falling in love. 21 years of marriage, I'm so grateful for my bride. She is the greatest gift in my life outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for my wife. And some of the things I love about my wife is she is strong. It's such a gift. She knows what she believes. She's not easily influenced by outside forces. She she is convictional in her theology and her doctrine. I love this about her. She thinks for herself. She's brilliant. I love this about my wife. One of my favorite verses to describe Megan is from Proverbs 31, verse 25. That proverb lays it out this way. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I love that. That describes my bride. But what that also means is my wife will not be pushed around. She doesn't always want to be told what to do. I know you might be shocked by that. She thinks for herself. She will not blindly follow. And so as a result, when we were getting close to getting engaged, and we were very much in love, we would have some very heated discussions about some things. You know, those very important, deep, heated conversations, also known as a fight, right? (laughs) And we're both strong-willed. And we'd be pushing against one another, you know, with our words and, and not agreeing on something. And in this one specific time, in my frustration that she would not just bow down and follow what I wanted her to do, which again was not her role by any means, but I got so frustrated, I just said to her, I don't think you'll ever submit. Now, I've never written a marriage book But if I did, I'm pretty sure the first chapter would be, husbands, don't say stupid things. And at the top of the list is a statement like, I don't think you'll ever submit. I mean, what a moron. And she looked at me very calmly and she said, that's because you don't understand what submission is. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty good comeback. And she was right. She was right. Because I had this archaic Neanderthal perspective of what submission is. That submission is supposed to be, hey, just do what I say. Just turn off your mind. Just blindly follow wherever I say go. 
I want to be the king. You just be my servant. Now, I never would have said that, but that would have been my perspective at the time. That's crazy. Guys, that is broken. That will never lead to a marriage of flourishing, a marriage of joy, a marriage of love, a marriage of kindness, a marriage of grace, a marriage of intimacy. No way. There is one king. I'm not it. I'm submitted to him. He is the authority. He is the Lord. He is the one reigning over all. And he in his sovereign wisdom and grace knows I need help. And so he gave me a helper fit for me who would walk in wisdom with me, who would challenge me when I needed to be challenged, who would affirm me where I needed to be affirmed. I'm so grateful for the strength and the wisdom of the woman of God that he called me to marry. I'm so grateful for the strength and wisdom of the woman of God that she felt called to say yes. And as there is this language of submission, we just need to understand submission is not about turning off your mind and blindly following a fool. Submission is not about being told what to do and being bossed around by a Neanderthal. No, submission is a choice to line up with the design and the purpose of God for the family. According to his created order. So that husband and wife can walk together as a complement to one another, living for the glory of God. Encouraging one another in the journey of faith. This is a call for the wife to recognize the authority of God in the home. That's what this call is about. So now we go to this final aspect. The wife is created to be a helper fit for her husband. The wife is called to submit to the spiritual Authority of her husband, the wife, is called to show respect. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to jump down to the very end of the chapter. And we're going to hit this more in the weeks ahead. But Ephesians 5 verse 33 says it this way. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. And I know that what has already been shared in this message is very countercultural. I know it's very challenging in many ways against what the world says is, is normal and right in our context today. But I believe that this third aspect that the word of God lays before us for the calling of a godly wife might be the most challenging inside the church. And here's why I say this, because I, I realize some of you today, you, you are here married to a husband who, who is easy to respect because he, he leads your family spiritually and he loves and honors you well and he serves you sacrificially and he points you to the wisdom of God's word and he is gracious and he is kind and so uh, he, he is one who is worthy of your respect and it's easy to respect him. 
that after 20 years of ministry and being involved in the church for my entire life, I know that there are many of you in this room today who are actually a wife married to a husband who is very difficult to respect because he's not the spiritual leader of your family. And he does not treat you with compassion and kindness and he is not graciously serving you and sacrificing for you. And I realize you may be here today saying, you just have no idea what it's like to be married to this man. He does not deserve my respect. And that actually may be true. You may be married to a husband who is not worthy of your respect. But it is important to remember that he is your husband who you walked down an aisle with and committed before God to be married to this man. You can live with this man in such a way that could actually promote spiritual growth in his own life or you could live with this man in such a way that becomes a great barrier to him ever becoming the spiritual leader in your home. I'm not trying to say that there's a silver bullet here. If you're in a tough marriage relationship, please do not hear that. But what I am saying is that the word of God makes it very, very clear. If you are in a marriage where it is difficult to respect your husband, your willingness to demonstrate respect for the role that he has been given by God, even if he doesn't deserve that respect, could be, could be the very thing that God uses to soften his heart and to open him up to receive the grace and the kindness of God that could propel him on a pathway to be the man of God that you desire to be married to. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, and this is very challenging. I know it is. I know that every situation is different. I know that there are so many little details and circumstances in your marriage that make it unique to another marriage. But I want to turn to 1 Peter 3 real quickly before we close this up because this is so very important. If you're here today in the midst of a difficult season of marriage or married to a difficult man or, or, or in the midst of a struggle, try to see how do I respect this guy look at what the word of God lays before us in 1 Peter 3 1 and 2 it says likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if they do not obey the word even if they don't believe the word of God even if they don't follow the word of God even if they're in defiant rebellion against the word of God of God. Even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful, there's that term, respectful and pure conduct. Now again, this is not a silver bullet. This is not saying that if you just do ABC, you're going to get the perfect marriage that you've always longed for. That's not what this is. 
But this is showing us a specific picture of the grace of God toward us in his patience with us, in his pursuit of us, in his love of us. And then it's saying to the wife, wife, you may be married to a man who is not leading your family well, but your respect for him and the role that God has given him and your pure conduct as a follower of Jesus Christ, who does not bow down to him, but who honors the Lord in the way that you live in your home and in the things that you say to and about your husband can be the very thing that God uses to prompt him to step out on faith to be the man of God that you desire to be married to. The word of God is saying if if you're married to a husband who's difficult to respect, you 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 can potentially be a pathway to him trusting fully Christ and and leading your family well, or you can potentially be a barrier, even in your desire to have a Christian marriage and a Christian home. You can be a barrier that would prevent him from truly seeing the love of God and the grace of God and the good news of the gospel. Again, this is showing tremendous power that God has given to a godly wife in her home. The things we say matter. The things you say matter. The the, the way you view your husband, it matters. Are, Are you willing to trust God's word and respect him in the role that he's been given even if he's not leading you well? Because God says that could provide a very powerful testimony. That could provide a very beautiful picture of grace. That could actually lead him to the gospel. And I will say this, I've never met a Christian woman who who desires to have a godly marriage who would say, you know, I really want to be a barrier to the gospel advancing in my household. And yet I've met many Christian women who are struggling with their husband and who are frustrated and who are angry and who are bitter and they're not making it any easier for their husband to see the gospel. That's hard, I know it's hard. I'm just asking us to consider, do we trust God at his word? And do we recognize that the words of respect that we give are incredibly powerful? Ladies, your words are powerful for your man. No matter how tough a dude he is, your words can crush him or they can build him up to run through a wall. What words are you speaking? Are they words of respect, words of encouragement? The role of the wife, according to the scripture, is to be a helper fit for her husband, to submit to his spiritual authority, and to respect him in the role that God has given him. And my conclusion for this morning is simply this. Where there is a willingness to trust God at his word and his design, you actually are seeing a picture of submission to the ultimate authority of God. And when this is lived out, we see according to God's word and according to the testimonies that we receive from those who are walking together in godly marriages, loving one another, 
that this produces oneness. This produces intimacy. This produces love. This produces grace. This fosters forgiveness. And this is the type of marriage that only can be experienced through the good news of the gospel. And so I close with this, and this is a a quote that will serve as a bridge to get us to next week. Let's be reminded that everything that has been laid before us in God's word is pointing us back to the good news of the gospel. This is a quote from Pastor Timothy Keller as he talks about the Christian marriage. He says, the Christian teaching does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up. He died to himself to save us and to make us his. Now we give ourselves up. We die to ourselves first when we repent and believe the gospel and later as we submit to his will day by day. Subordinating ourselves to him, however, is radically safe because he has already shown us that he was willing to go to hell and back for us. This banishes fears that loving surrender means the loss of oneself. So what do you need to make marriage work? You need to know the secret, the gospel, and how it gives you both the power and the pattern for your marriage. God wants you to be in a marriage that is amazing. He wants you to experience the gift of the family according to his design. He wants you to know what he says is best for a husband and for a wife and for a family. And it's all rooted and grounded in the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. The question is, Will we trust him? Let me pray for us as we close. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your word. I know we've covered a lot of ground today. And I pray, Lord God, if there's anything that I said that was not of you, it would be quickly, quickly dismissed. But that we would take everything that is said of your word here today and invite it through the spirit of God to do work in us. Because when your word does work in us, it is for your glory and it is for our good. And I pray, Lord God, that we would experience your good in our lives, in our families, in our marriages because of the finished work of the gospel. So Lord, I pray for the husbands and for the wives who are here today who are, who are flourishing and who are experiencing your best and who are walking hand in hand together in love and grace. Lord, we, we celebrate with them. We pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that you would use them for your glory to be an example to others. We pray that their testimony would be powerful. But Lord, we also realize there are, there are husbands and there are wives There are those here today who desire to be 
husbands and wives. There are those here today who, who at one point were husbands and wives, and their story now is very different than what they ever thought it would be. And, and this message stirs up a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And Lord, it is my prayer in the power of your spirit that you would minister to them in comfort and in strength. Show them what step of faith might need to be taken in this journey. And show them if there's anything that needs to be laid before you. And above all else, I pray that you would show them how much you love them. That you are pursuing them even now with your love and your grace. And Father, for those who are here today who completely disagreed with everything that was said or were even offended by what was said, Lord, I I pray in your love and your grace that, that you would just gently pursue them in a way that they can't stop thinking about what they've heard. And they can't stop thinking about how much you love them. Lord, we thank you for loving us enough to make the truth very clear. And pray that you would give us the faith to wrestle with it, to trust you, and to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.